0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. Sounds good. So, so this week we are uh, continuing our series on faith and work. And uh, last week, Michael talked about how work is a gift, not simply what we do to make money. Yet, we live in a world that still operates with money. We have bills to pay. We have to put gas in our car. I got to buy diapers, things like that. We, we, so, so we've learned we don't live for money, but we also live in a world that has money. And so today we're asking the question, okay, with this new view of work, how then do we think about money? So, Gabe read for us Matthew six nineteen through 24 for, and, and so, so to start, we're going we're gonna to use that last verse to kind of frame our entire discussion today. As we, as we seek to answer the question of how to view money, we're going to use that last verse as our framework. And I'll read that one again. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So two quick things before we get too far down the road. First, I'm actually going to pivot. This is the the NIV, New International Version, and I'm going to pivot to the King James Version in the last line. Some of you might recognize how this sounds. So the NIV says you cannot serve God and money. The King James says you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon, it's a very literal translation. The the Aramaic word there is mammonas, means possessions. So basically, it doesn't mean just money. It's possessions that includes money, but it's money and possessions. And and the second thing, which is really interesting about this, is is how Jesus uses this word mammon. That's why I'm going with the King James. It's it's significant. Jesus personifies mammon. He talks about mammon as if it was a god who could be worshipped talks about money and possessions as if they were an idol. Think about it like how the ancient Romans and Greeks had gods of war and fertility, things like that. Jesus is almost making a play on words saying, possessions are their own God. And I think there's something to that. Money and possessions have a a spiritual force of their own that can draw us in and can control us. And the spiritual force, mammon, it can get a hold of our, our hearts, our minds, and our soul, and it can twist us. It can make us do crazy things, things we wouldn't otherwise do. Without thinking what we're doing, without sometimes even making a conscious decision, we'll come to the altar of mammon, the altar of more money, the altar of more stuff. And on this altar, we will sacrifice what mammon requires. A lot of times this sacrifice is time with our family, our relationships with our kids, our friends, our marriage, peace of mind, our rest, our integrity, sacrificed in the name of mammon why do we why do we do this most of the time we 're relatively rational folks, humans, and, and so uh, any sacrifice is is your You're letting go or you're giving a a present good for what you believe will be a a future even better. The problem with this promise that mammon makes is that they're false promises. You're sacrificing a present good for a future good that isn't actually real. that, That is a lie. The future promise is false. So today we're going to dig into these two gods, Mammon and the God of the Bible, and we're going to talk about two of the promises which Mammon will make, two of these false promises that Mammon will offer us. And then we're going to talk about the alternative to serving Mammon, which is serving God. Because whether we like it or not, we're facing a choice. Jesus doesn't say it's unspiritual to serve two masters. He doesn't say it is detrimental to your faith to serve two masters. He says it's impossible to serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. But before we do this, would you pray with me? God, our our prayer this morning is for your truth and nothing else. I, I know in preparation for this, you challenged me in my own views of money and mammon. You convicted me in some of the ways I think about money. And, uh, and, and again, God, we, what we want is your truth, even if it is painful. We want to grow closer to you. So if, if any of us feel conviction today, let it be from you and not from our own pride or our own desire to earn our keep. If we feel conviction, I pray that we, we, we feel it not as a whack on the head, but as, as a, a door which is opening to us to a closer relationship with you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to get right to it. The first lie of mammon. The first lie which is promised to you is that mammon will give you security. And we're going to look at the first two verses of that that passage from Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is the first lie of mammon, the first lie of possessions, that accumulating possessions and money will bring you security. The promise is that your money will enable you to be protected from want, danger, and discomfort. Not only will you be protected, you will be their master. You will be the master of want, danger, and discomfort. And these problems will be under your control. Money will keep you safe. Mammon's promise is if you get enough money, you'll be able to use it to meet your needs. You'll be able to pay people to comply with your will or to do things that you don't want to do. And you'll be able to buy your way out of any uncomfortable or undesirable situation. In a nutshell... Mammon gives you control. That's mammon's promise of security. Jesus, however, tells a different story. He tells us that ma- the mammon we collect will ultimately all be destroyed. And it will be destroyed by moth, vermin, and thieves. And once again, I'm going to go to the King James Version for those, the translation of those three things, moth, vermin, and thieves, because the King James translate, translates it as moth rust and thieves. I'm going with that one because I think that speaks to the three ways that our mammon can vanish, that it can disappear. Moth, rust, and thieves. First, the moth. Yes, the moth's like the ones who eat your sweaters, the flying creatures. The, the moth, it speaks, to the, it speaks to the corrosion of nature. It's the way nature can destroy our possessions, our mammon. A tree falls on your car. A hurricane takes a coastal home away and you might be thinking hold on my home is insured my car is insured yes you're right we have come up with lots of ways to protect ourselves against some of these corrosions of nature but uh, what about when a person you love gets sick like bad sick there are some sicknesses that the best most expensive treatment cannot cure it cannot touch And then you find yourself where mammon has promised you a means of escape from any situation, but in the most crucial moment, offered no shelter from the storm. Rust speaks to the corrosion of time. And so over time, not only does our mammon, like our cars, boats, uh, electronics, depreciate, but on an even larger scale, entire fortunes are lost. There's a jarring statistic that about 70% of very wealthy families lose their fortune by the second generation. By the third generation, the number is 90%. Family wealth doesn't last. Things change. 2008 was 10 years ago. Markets rise and fall completely out of our control. Nations rise and fall. Family land for centuries is reclaimed. Time has the final word over mammon. So that's moth, there's rust, lastly, the thief. The thief represents humanity's corrosion, the damages we do to one another's mammon and the damages we do to our own. Tens of thousands of dollars are lost in a bad investment that you were promised was a slam dunk. You were deceived into buying a house that had major issues you didn't know about or a victorious result in a petty lawsuit still leaves you on the hook for big legal bills. People do this to one another. But we also do it to ourselves. Sports Illustrated reported that within 2 years of their retirement, 78% of NFL players are bankrupt or in severe financial distress. I know we don't all play in the NFL, but we we get a car loan that's beyond our means. Debt is a major issue. It's a big enough issue where, where arguments about finances are cited as the second leading cause of divorce, behind infidelity. So all three of these—moth, rust, thief—reveal the, reveal the insecurity of life lived to accumulate things. The insecurity of mammon. And there's a prominence with this man. Uh, there's a promise with this mammon that they'll be permanent then they vanish. Mammon would have us treat temporal things as if they were eternal. I think about mammon, it's like if you've ever been to the beach and you go out in the ocean and you try and pick up water, cup it in your hands, and you squeeze your fingers together real tight, and it'll hold for a while, but eventually the water will run between your fingers no matter how hard you clench. Mammon cannot be trusted for your security. If you trust it for your security you'll one day find yourself consumed by the opposite of security, anxiety. And this is the great irony of the whole situation. While we believe our possessions will give us security, we end up being anxious about the security of our possessions. What we turn to for security has in fact brought us security's opposite, anxiety. Anxiety. This is the deceitful nature of mammon, and when Jesus tells us you can't serve God and mammon, He's not giving us an ultimatum because He self-consciously needs our affirmation and, and affection. He tells us that hard message because He knows where the road ends, where the relentless pursuit of mammon, of money, of possession leads, leads to despair disappointment, hopelessness. And that's not Jesus' hope for us. His hope for us is is far greater than a lot of stuff. So I was raised in a a great home. My grandma, she was like depression era. And so we grew up like, we reused trash bags and things like that. We were very, very... Frugal in a good sense, uh, wise with money, I was always taught to save, and again that's a great thing, and no way to say anything bad about that but but the, the kind of the dark side of this is that at times i i I feel like I took it a little overboard where it would really bother me to waste money like if i if I knew I needed to change a flight, for instance, and I had that one hundred and twenty five dollar absurd flight change fee man, it would uh, it would make me sick and so so I say that to paint the backdrop of a, a little story um, about how I, I let my own worship of mammon ruin some time. So, right after I graduated undergrad, moved to Seattle, and I was dating Annika, right over there, and now married to her. And uh, so she was finishing up school. So I moved to Seattle and I got an apartment downtown and got a job at Starbucks, the opening shift. And believe it or not, this didn't leave me flush with cash, uh, a lot of disposable income. And ultimately, my rent was more than I was getting paid, so I ended up selling my car uh, to get a little more money. And I lived a few miles from the Starbucks I worked at, and so it was too long to walk, but didn't need a car, and so I ended up borrowing Annika's uh, dad's bike. And uh, so there I was, recent college grad, uh, working the opening shift at Starbucks, biking to work, wake up at 4.30 a.m., riding in the rain, and then it gets better. A couple of weeks later, somebody stole the seat off of my bike. <laughs> I don't know why people steal bike seats. I mean, I guess you're like halfway to a unicycle, but, but I really, if, if you want to lose faith in, uh, in humanity, have somebody steal your bike seat. Because, because yeah, well, I just don't, I still don't understand that. But then there I was riding to work, biking to work, standing up the whole way, and uh, it, it was a sad sight. Yeah, I said that, again, to set the stage because then I got, ended up getting a different job, ended up getting enough cash to where I was, I was ready to get back on four wheels and ready to get a new car. And I'd done some research and ended up finding a used Honda Fit that was being imported from Canada. And Honda Fits are really good for headroom. So I went with that. And, and so I was going to get it right around my birthday. Oh, yeah, that's her right there. Um, and I didn't park it like that. Someone gave me a hard time after the last service. That, that was, that's at the lot itself. So Honda Fit, man, I was excited, and my parents were actually in town from South Carolina when I was about to get this car, and at that point, I only saw them probably two or three times a year, so it was a rare visit. They were here for it, and I had signed the papers for the car, and then afterwards, uh, some kind of semi-shady things were revealed about this used car dealer. Um, he was really living into stereotypes, uh, and... uh and I started to wonder, like, man, did I blow this? You know, did I, did I waste all this money? It was issues with, like, the importation stuff. And so, so it, it consumed me in a way that, like, the, the entire trip my parents were there, I was just angry and frustrated and worried that I'd, I'd blown this money after I'd finally saved up enough, you know. And it, it honestly, it took away, it ruined the entire week for me and probably for my family as well that I, I was just so sour. And my worship of mammon there ruined what was a very rare time with my family. And, and I, I tell you that to illustrate, but also to say, like, this is something that God's working on in me as well. I'm not standing here pretending that I have this mastered. Um, so so I'm, I'm, I'm with you, and in, in this sermon is as much for me as it is for you. But what's the alternative to going for mammon for security? What's what's the alternative? It's to, to trust Jesus. Jesus says, Your God, rather than mammon, will give you security. Granted, this security that Jesus offers doesn't always mean financial security. The bitter medicine that your heart needs could be losing it all, like the rich young ruler. Things could get tight, and for some of us, it probably will. And we'll then have the decision of getting bitter ourselves. Or depending on God in ways that we never otherwise would have. We'll also be forced to depend on one another. So the security which Jesus offers is the security of your soul. And I'm not speaking only in the eternal sense, but for today, for this week, for right now. Jesus tells us to stop making these sacrifices at the altar of Mammon. Find rest spend time with God, refuse the opportunity for the kind of shady but easy cash, hold on to your integrity. Do these things and you'll find you've been more yourself than you've ever been. So while you may not have a brand new car or a huge house, stacked bank account or nice new clothes, you'll be one step closer to the freedom which comes in Christ. And that freedom, how does that play out? It's What happens in the stock market? Yes, your job depends on it, but it begins to matter a little less in your day-to-day life. Paying the change fee for flights gets a little less painful. The money that comes in and out of your life does just that. It comes in and out of your life. It's not the center of your life. It's not what your life is built around. And some of you might have an experience like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 when Jesus told him, and I paraphrase, hey man, you, you know the money that's more important to you than anything else? It's killing you. It's strangling you. You need to let it go. And I'm not standing here saying everyone needs to give up all their money or anything like that. Some of us just need to serve Jesus, work your job, make your money. But don't serve your job, don't serve money, don't trade your joy for mammon. Paul made tents to earn a living. And his job was what he did to do what he needed to do in his life, to kind of further his his role in, in God's story there. But he wasn't pouring his whole life into making like the Mediterranean's biggest tent empire or anything like that. In Matthew 4, Jesus calls the first disciples, Peter and Andrew, they're fishermen. And Jesus says, follow me. And they immediately drop their nets and do just that. And these nets, they were their physical tools, but more than that, they were, there's a, a symbolism there. They were their livelihood, their skill, their identity. It's who they were. It's how they made their money. And you may or may not be asked to drop your nets in your lifetime, but I think it's worth asking yourself, would you be able to? Would you? But I venture that most of us will have a more incremental process as we try to reshape our, our view of mammon. Paul writes in Philippians 4 that I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul has this decision that, hey, I don't want to live like this anymore. And that's the decision a lot of us are struggling with too. It's then followed by a process where you, you go and you learn how to be content. And I think back to my Honda Fit story where at any point in the process, I could have said, you know what, this, this has me worried. It could end up being bad or it could not. could be fine. I'm going to do my best to be wise about it. Again, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind. I'll be wise about it, but I'm not going to allow mammon to rob me of my joy. This is the prayer that I pray. This is the prayer that the Holy Spirit will help us through this. But now we have to move on to the second lie of mammon. So that was the first. Second lie of mammon, mammon will satisfy you. The promise is that money and things will satisfy us. And this is a sneaky one. Because I know in my mind that that possessions won't satisfy me, but man, I do love waiting for an Amazon package to arrive. You know, you go online and you find something you don't really need, but it sounds kind of fun, isn't that expensive, and and you excitedly wait until it arrives. It used to to take like a week and a half, now it's two days. But the, the item arrives and you think about what to order next. The book you got, it goes on your shelf and you may or you may not pull it back off to read it or... Or maybe it's you save up for the one big thing you want. And when you get it, after a few days, it's still exciting, but not quite as, not not the rush that it was before. And you start thinking of the next big thing. And this continues up the scale of magnitude. You get so excited about your, your new car, and then before long, you think about the next one with the better package. You and your spouse buy a starter home and are so excited. But then, within a few years it's it 's not, not quite good enough. The neighborhood isn 't nice enough. The siding is the wrong material or let 's say you get a promotion at work, and then three weeks later, and you 're so excited about this promotion, three weeks later you 're thinking, "Well I wonder what my next promotion will be You know if there's was this percent this year, what'll be next year, then how much you start thinking about next year 's promotion and, I, and I, I give all those examples because this is the core of, of what Mammon does. In the promise of satisfying you, Mammon promises that this next thing will be what finally does the job, what finally satisfies. You. And where does it end? It doesn't. Well, and Jesus tells us it ends in despair, unfulfillment. The writer of Ecclesiastes agrees. Five, Ecclesiastes five ten. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Uh, German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer he said that, that, that wealth is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. And for the, and this I love that image. I think about a you know guy who's been stranded off a crash plane or whatever in the middle of the ocean, surrounded by water, and he's dying of thirst. You know we we look like a what looked the seawater looked like a drink that could quench. His thirst, but actually it further aggravates and provokes that thirst. And this is the lie of mammon. Having promised satisfaction, it, it, it again reveals its true nature and gives you the opposite, wanting more. So again, we ask, what's the alternative? What does God offer us? And again, I turn to Philippians 4 11 through 13. I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So being content in any and every situation, that means not being a victim of circumstance. Mammon would have you as its slave, at the mercy of how the stock market does, at the mercy of whatever unforeseen bill might come in the mail, at the mercy of the next big thing you have to have. Yet Jesus offers us freedom from this, that we are content in all of these situations. How do we find this freedom is the question. At Lake Forest, one of the things we talk about a lot is finding our role in God's story. And just as you can't serve two masters, you can't serve two stories. Making Jesus our Lord is about becoming a part of God's story, not our story. And God's calling us to his story. It's a call to a pursuit of higher meaning. It's a life we are created for, to do things that matter from the eternal scope. To work towards what will last, what moth, rust, and thief cannot touch how sad would it be to miss out on the story because we're too busy trying to create our own little kingdom when when we get that amazon package in the mail and still feel like something's missing you know we 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 buy the thing that we that feels like it'll scratch the itch but it still itches a little bit and that's our I, that's our soul telling us hey that, there's something more it's crying out for that something more So this is the invitation. And I'll I'll close with one of my favorite stories of a uh, a person who refused to serve mammon. His name is Jonas Salk. So 1952, turn back the clock. The United States suffered the worst polio outbreak in its history. Back in 1952, PBS had this documentary, and it said in 1952, the two biggest fears Americans had, atomic bomb and polio. So 1952, this big polio outbreak happens. Over 3,000 people died, 20,000 mild to severely paralyzed, and the sad thing, most of these victims were children. Three years later, scientist named Jonas Salk developed the first successful polio vaccine, and in the interest of getting the vaccine out as fast as possible, he released it without a patent. Pretty much to mean he forego his right to make a ton of money on it. And it eventually went, it immediately went worldwide, and the disease was stopped in its tracks. There's a reason we don't talk about polio too much nowadays. And had he patented this vaccine, which no one would have blamed him for, everyone would have expected him to do, he would have made a fortune. Yeah, this was a man who would not serve his own interests. And his vaccine saved the lives of many. And Jesus comes to mind when I think of Jonas Salk, because Jesus sacrificed not only potential fortune, but he sacrificed his life not for his gain, but for the gain of others, for the gain of us all. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul tells us that he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So this is the story that we're called into, this story of self-giving. And this story will challenge us, it will push us harder than we can even imagine, but it will also give us freedom and fulfillment that our souls are crying out for. I'm convinced it's the only true life there is, the only real freedom we'll find. So again, that's that's the invitation to enter into the life that Jesus lived and to give our lives not for mammon, not for ourselves, but for God, who will put our life to work to change the world. Please pray. With me.